Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. Um, But we are uh, continuing our sermon series that we're calling Meaningful Membership. Um, And this is, uh, you know, we're looking at what the Bible says about church membership. We do recognize that the phrase church member or church membership is not in the New Testament. It's not in the Bible anywhere. However, the model and the example is there. The model and the example of being a member of a local body of believers is presented throughout the New Testament. And so even though that phrase isn't there, the idea is there. And we are trying to live faithfully to that here in our lives and in this church. And so we're talking about meaningful membership. And this is what do we believe about church membership here at Victory Baptist Church. I've also said that as a a, a kind of a big part of this sermon series, I'm going through, I'm going to be referring back to I'm a Church Member by Tom Rainer several times. Um, I forgot to bring the box out this morning, but we have a box with some extra books. If you don't have one, um, feel free to get one. We have uh, have several copies left over. Um, If you have never read this book before, please read this book. Even if you're not planning on joining this church as a member, please read this book because if you take these lessons and apply them to your life, no matter what church you go to, you're going to be a benefit to that church. Obviously, we'd love to have you here if you are standing in agreement with us as a church. But wherever you go, if you're putting these into practice, you're going to be a benefit to that church and a healthy church member. Um, So as we're looking through this um, this sermon series, um, so over the past two weeks, the, uh, the first week, we focused on the, the implications of the metaphor that Paul gave about church members as part of a human body, right? At the end of that sermon, I, I called us to commit to the church body, to commit to the church body and embrace the family. Last week, we took a closer look at how we embrace sanctification, right? On one side, we encourage one another to acts of love and good service. And on, on the other side, we hold each other accountable to eradicating the sin in our lives. Sanctification is, is both parts of that. It's not just sinning less. Right? Sanctification does include sinning less, but it's not just sinning less. It's also doing more good. It's doing God's works in our lives. That's sanctification. As church members, we are responsible for helping each other along in this process of sanctification. It's not always comfortable because we want this sanctification process to be, to be all by myself because it's so deeply personal and sometimes it's painful. But we as church members have the responsibility to hold each other accountable to sanctification. Now this week, we're going to look at what Paul told the Philippians about being a community of believers. And so we're in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 8, and the title of this sermon is, I am selfless. I am selfless. There's a couple of different ways I was trying to word that throughout the week, and I had I am not selfish on there this morning. Uh, I had I am not selfish. And I got in here, and I, and I was like, that's just not flowing right now. I think God finally got, the, the, got me to see the title right on here is that I am selfless. Uh, and the main idea is to embrace others. So I have this text uh, broken into three divisions. There's spiritual unity, selfless humility, and sacrificial service. And I'm going to pray, and we'll get right into this text. Heavenly Father, again, God, as we open up your word, Lord, show us who you are. Show us your character. Show us your holiness. Lord, show us how we can grow to be more like you. Convict us of our sin and draw us into you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and start here in Philippians 2, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, 
Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me happy, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. So to start off with, Paul talks about belonging to Christ. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? So let's talk about what does that mean, belonging to Christ? Now, I know I've talked about this every week, but it is a foundational point that deserves repeating. The church body, the body of the church, church membership, is made up of those who are Christians, those who are saved by Jesus. We all need salvation because of our sin. We have all messed up. We are all guilty. Now, this is a globally recognized problem. All world religions, all world philosophies recognize this problem and try to address it. All other world religions and all other philosophies say that the answer to this problem is you. You got to do more. You got to do better. You got to do more better. You have to do this. You have to do that. Do this checklist or, or do so many good things to outweigh the bad stuff that you've done. Ultimately, we recognize when we try that, if we're honest with ourselves, one of two consequences happens or one of two, um, one, one of two outcomes, right? One, either you recognize that you're not good enough and you can't do enough to overcompensate for your failures, or secondly, you do all these things and you follow all the rules, at least as, as close as you can, only to realize that you are still not good enough. You're still not perfect. You still cannot outweigh the bad in your life. What makes Christianity different is that it's not about what you've done. It's not about what you can do. What makes Christianity different is it's, it's about what Jesus did. We are saved because God came to this earth. He took on human flesh. We know him as Jesus. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And even though he was innocent, he was crucified on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserve. We are guilty, but he is innocent. We deserve punishment, but he was sacrificed. He is our substitution. The big, uh, the big word for that is substitutionary atonement. He took our punishment in our place. We deserve it, but he took it. When we place our faith in him, he forgives us of our sin and declares us to be righteous. It's not about what I did. It's about what Jesus did. It's not about what I can do, but it's about what Jesus already did. Through faith in him, he fixes our brokenness and gives us hope in the future. In Sunday school last week, I asked the question, if you died today and you're standing there at the pearly gates and Jesus said, why should I let you into my heaven? How would you answer that question? Well, after Sunday school, last week during the Sunday morning service, we sang, who am I by casting crowns? And the answer to that question is in the lyrics. And who am I? It says, not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve reconciliation with God. But he died on the cross to forgive me because he loves me. He loves all of us. Amen. I didn't do anything to earn my salvation, but God loved me enough to die for me. And he offers that same forgiveness and reconciliation and salvation to all of us. Once you are saved, you respond with baptism and membership in the local church. So Paul continues. He's talking about fellowship together in the Spirit. When we are saved, 
the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. Miss Janice was talking about this this morning. When we are saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. The Holy Spirit is God. He is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. He inspired the human authors of the Bible, and He is the helper that Jesus promised to send after His ascension. God gives us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our salvation. It is the seal of our salvation. That's the proof that we are saved. Once we are saved, the Holy Spirit continues to convict us of our sin, and He continues to to show us how we can be obedient to God's will and do God's will in our lives. The Holy Spirit empowers us to overcome sin. It is the Holy Spirit who tells us to reach out in love to our neighbor. And it is the Holy Spirit, when we surrender to him, who gives us the power to be obedient to that. It is the Holy Spirit who gives us our spiritual gifts to be able to serve in the church. The Holy Spirit is God. And all who are saved have the same Holy Spirit living inside of us, guiding us, convicting us, and giving us wisdom. That's what Paul means when he says fellowship together in the Spirit. Typically, when we talk about fellowship, it's spending time together, building relationships, growing closer to God together, right? That's all true, and that's all at play here too. But the main point of what Paul is talking about, specifically fellowship together in the Spirit, means that since we all have the same God living inside of us, then there should be harmony and unity in the body. That's what Paul is hinting at in verse 1. But he flat out says it in verse 2. He says, Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. If you've ever been around multiple people and asked multiple people their opinions, you're going to get multiple different opinions. But when we are in fellowship together with the Spirit, is one mind and one purpose. Earlier, Kathy was talking about the, the Victory Kids kickoff that we had yesterday, and everybody came in and, and, and worked, and they have their gift and their, their talent, and everybody came in and did their own little piece and their own little part. We all had a different part to play, but it was one mind and one purpose. Now, apparently, there was some division in the church at Ephesus, or else Paul wouldn't have to say that they should make him happy about this. So unfortunately, that does mean that even though church membership is supposed to be made up of those who are surrendered to the Holy Spirit, Right? Church membership is made up of those who are saved, those who have the Holy Spirit, and we're all supposed to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, we don't all surrender all the time to the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, sometimes we reject the, 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 the guiding of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We push back against him, and we say, no, I don't want to do that. I'm going to be selfish. I'm going to do it my way. Anytime that you are having conflict with another human being, it is because at least one, but probably both of you, are not completely surrendered to the Holy Spirit in one way or another. Yes, we should be following the Holy Spirit in every aspect of our lives, but we are still being sanctified. Paul says that as we continue to surrender to the Holy Spirit, we will grow in our ability to love one another. We will grow in our ability to work together. We will grow in our ability to 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 implement God's will in this church and in our lives. We will grow in our like-mindedness. We will grow in our unity of purpose. Now, this doesn't mean we're growing in uniformity. We are all still unique. God has created us and given us special talents and abilities. Not uniformity, but unity. We are working together, each using our own special talents and abilities and personalities to, 
to glorify God together. If you remember back to the first sermon in this series, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Paul pointed to the racial and socioeconomic diversity of the church. And he highlighted the diversity of gifts and talents as a, as, as a gift to the church. As this church grows, I pray that we can grow in diversity. But that means that there's going to be times when your preferences or your background or your abilities or your preconceived notions will be different from others. What do we do in those times? Well, if we keep reading, Paul gives us that answer. Paul says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for any of your, or sorry, don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So here in verse 3, we see two different commands from Paul. But these two fruits grow from the same tree. Being selfish and trying to impress others both come from pride. We all know what selfishness is, right? It's, it's wanting to get in my way no matter what anybody else might want. Or it's, it's hogging all the good stuff for myself no matter what somebody else wants or needs. That's selfishness. Selfishness comes from a place of pride because it says, I'm the most important one here. Nobody else's opinion matters, and nobody else deserves the good stuff. I'm better than those people. My needs are more important. I deserve it more. That's selfishness. If anybody needs a lesson in selfishness, spend a little bit of time with a toddler. They will show you what selfishness is. (laughs) I think we all know what selfishness is, though, because we can look in the mirror and see it, unfortunately. Now, the other command, Paul says, don't try to impress others. Again, this comes from pride because it says, look at me. Look at how great I am. Look at what I can do so much better than everybody else. That's prideful. Paul says, he doesn't just say don't do these things, but he also gives us the command of what we should do. He says, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Instead of just saying don't be selfish, Paul also says to elevate other people's desires and wishes and their needs and their opinions over your own. Instead of thinking of yourself as the greatest, start to treat others as more important than yourself. When we come up to those, those difference or challenges that I talked about earlier, let someone else have their way or their preference. I could sum this up by saying, defer where we differ. Defer where we differ. If you and someone else both want the same thing and you can't both have it, let them have their way instead. Instead of just saying, don't try to impress others, Paul also says, be humble. Now, the funny thing about humility is that we cannot be more humble by trying to be more humble. In trying to be more humble, you only grow more prideful. Humility does not come by trying to be humble. You try to be humble, you will grow in pride. So how do we become more humble? Paul already gave us that answer. He says, think of others more. Think of others more. Instead of pridefully thinking about yourself, think of others. First, we focus on God and his glory. And second, we focus on other people's strengths and abilities. When we focus on God and his glory, our own pride melts away because we recognize our own sinfulness contrasted with God's glory. When we focus on others' needs and abilities, we begin to see their contribution to the family and how God has gifted them. C.S. Lewis summed it up nicely for us. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Or maybe C.S. Lewis was just summarizing what Paul says in verse 4. 
Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Earlier, I said that as members, we should defer where we differ. I do want to make one caveat, though, or a couple caveats. We defer where we differ in matters of preference, right? If a member differs with us on a primary theological point, we do not defer. So I need to take a a moment to, to talk about some terms here. Primary theological doctrine. These are doctrines that talk about that this, this is you have to believe this to be Christian. That's primary doctrine, okay? Primary theological doctrine. Um, it's something like believing that Jesus is the Son of God. You have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You have to believe that Jesus is God in order to be a Christian. That's primary doctrine. Amen. I would even push that to secondary doctrine, that we cannot differ on secondary doctrine. All right, secondary issues, these are um, things where... We see it taught in the Bible, and we think this is how the Bible teaches it, but you can be a Christian without necessarily believing that thing. So we as Baptists, we, see, we think that the Bible shows a model of believer's baptism, that after you come to salvation, then you are baptized. Right? That's believer's baptism. However, you don't have to believe that to be a Christian. You look at our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, right? I'm not going to call into question any of their salvation. We, there are some wonderful, wonderful Presbyterian Christians, some highly respected Presbyterian teachers that I have learned a lot from. But they don't believe in believer's baptism. They practice infant baptism. So if we disagree on that point, that's okay. You can still be a Christian. Unfortunately, you're not going to be able to be a member of this church as we as Baptists hold that as one of our doctrinal issues. On that point, if you were baptized as an infant, that's okay. If you are baptized as an infant but have been saved since then, then you should be baptized again because we believe that baptism is a response to salvation. You choose to be baptized as a symbol of your salvation. And since you did not choose to be saved as an infant, then infant baptism was not a choice that you made. Your baptism was not your choice. Before I leave this point, I want to quickly talk about tertiary doctrine or third-level doctrine. So, Primary doctrine is you have to believe this to be a Christian. Secondary doctrine is you don't necessarily have to believe this to be a Christian, but this is where usually we have our denominational differences, right? And then tertiary doctrine, these are things where we see it in the Bible, but it might not be quite as clear. And so we can be in close communion and still disagree on this. And so something that I would put into that category would be uh, the timeline of the end times, right? Give you an example. When I was uh, a youth leader back at Highland, um, we went through an end times study. And three of us disagree on the timeline of the end times. There's myself. I'm post-trib. I think Jesus is coming back after the tribulation. Christians will be here through the tribulation. The other youth leader was pre-trib. Okay? He thinks Jesus is coming back before the tribulation. Christians will be taken out before the tribulation, and then Jesus is coming back at the end of the tribulation to reign. All right, that's post-trib. There is a third youth volunteer who is mid-trib. She believes that Jesus is coming back in the middle of the tribulation, and, and Christians will spend half of the tribulation here on earth and suffer through that. Jesus will take them out halfway through and then come back at the end of the tribulation to reign. Now, all three of us, they're teaching, working with that youth group, all in very close communion. I'd say even very, very close communion because I'm married to one of those people. So we have very, very close communion. 
married to the her I was talking about, not the him. Okay, just to, just to clarify. Uh, so that's tertiary doctrine, right? We can disagree on that matter, but still be in close communion with each other. So primary and secondary doctrines. We do not defer, but we do defer in matters of preference. We do not defer in matters of sin. We hold each other accountable to sanctification, but we defer in matters of preference. Paul says, look out not only for your own interests. So what might that be? And this could be the type of music that we sing, the type of food that we serve. How exactly are we going to decorate for Christmas? Are we going to recognize non-Christian holidays like Labor Day and Memorial Day in the church? These are matters of preference. Are there good things that can be done there? Absolutely. Is it absolutely necessary that we do those things as a church? No, those are matters of preference. When I look at what we do as a church, there are things that I might prefer that we do different, but they're not primary or secondary doctrines, and they're not matters of sin. They're simply matters of preference, and someone else is willing to handle it. So I defer. This deference both comes as a result of humility, but also as it helps to train our hearts in humility. When we talk about deferring, right, you defer this when you let somebody else have their way, right? So the deference comes as a result of humility, but also it trains us in humility. You can defer even when you don't want to. I don't want to give up my way, but as church members, we are selfless. We see others as more important than ourselves. Let me finish this section with a quote from page 34 of I'm a church member, all right? He says, The strange thing about church membership is that you actually give up your preferences when you join. Don't get me wrong. There may be much about your church that you like a lot, but, there are, but you are there to meet the needs of others. You are there to serve others. You are there to give. You are there to sacrifice. And Dr. Rayner mentions serving. We haven't talked about serving yet. That comes up next. We keep reading in Ephesians 2. All right, so let me read here. Ephesians 2, starting at 5. You must have, what? Yes, I'm sorry. Yep, I have Ephesians here. That's Philippians. Ephesians 2, starting in 5. Uh, you must have the same attitude uh, that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Paul could have just said, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus had. And he could have left it at that. But he went into detail to show exactly what he meant by this. And I really want to take the time necessary to break this apart and give this text the time it deserves. And I've already talked long enough this morning. So to catch the rest of the sermon, you've got to come back next week. So our application this morning, when we look at, our, when we look at this text, how do we apply it to our lives as disciples of Christ? All right, so first, know. Know when to defer. All right? When we're talking about matters of right versus wrong, primary doctrine or secondary doctrine, legal issues, sin issues, we don't defer. We hold fast to those issues. However, when we're talking about matters of preference, or maybe even matters of tradition, we can defer on those matters. Think of it as an opportunity to serve these other people. Next week, we're going to talk more about service, but this is an easy area where you can serve others. Again, going to page 35 of I'm a church member. He says, as a church member, my motivation should not be to get my preferences to the top of the list. 
I'm supposed to be last, not first. I'm supposed to be a servant instead of seeking to be served. Our B application is to be selfless. Be selfless. It's tempting in here to put the application point as to be more humble or to be humble. But like I said, the funny thing about humility is that you cannot be more humble by trying to be more humble. The only way to be or the only way to grow in humility is to think of yourself less. We cannot think too much of ourselves. We also should not think too little of ourselves. You are loved by God. And if you are saved, you are a child of God. So don't think too less, don't think too little of yourself. But think of yourself less. Think of what Jesus did for you. How he loved you and how he sacrificed for you. Think of how he lived and what he taught. Secondly, think about others. What is it that they want? What are their preferences? How can you meet their needs or their wants? What about your life is getting in the way of what somebody else might want? Where can you defer your preferences so you can serve others? In our due application, submit to the Holy Spirit. If you are saved, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. For members of this church, that means that we are all filled with the same Spirit who should guide us into unity. Again, not uniformity. We're not all going to be carbon copies of each other. But through diversity, we work toward the same goal as a family. Think about it like a symphony, all right? The most beautiful music does not happen when everybody plays the same instrument and plays in unison. The most beautiful music happens when all these different people and all their different instruments, they're all playing their unique parts together to make a beautiful song. That's the picture of the church family. Each of us, uniquely gifted and talented, each of us with our unique personalities, reflecting God's glory in our own way together under the same Spirit of God, surrendered to Him. Now, if you're not saved, the Holy Spirit's job is to convict you of your sin and point to Jesus as your Savior. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior, call out to Him today. Place your faith in Him and be saved. If that's you this morning, or if you think the Holy Spirit might be convicting you, come see me during the response time, and we can talk about your next steps. Finally, if you have been saved, but you've not been baptized since then, I hope the Holy Spirit is speaking through me to you today and saying that you need to get baptized. So, again, our three application points. Know when to defer, be selfless, and submit to the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, Lord, we thank you for your word and the truth that's in your word. Lord, I pray that you are working in all of our hearts to convict us of how we are not like you. Convict us of our sin. Help us to surrender to you more. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to think of others more than ourselves. Think first of you and secondly of others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit VictoryBaptistHopeMills.com or Facebook.com slash VBCHopeMills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.